Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school fo- football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, so please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan and something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar and full contact and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. Championships in Florida. He's now the head football coach at Enterprise High School in Alabama. And if you've been at any Glazier clinic around the country, there's a good chance you would have seen Coach Darlington or bumped into him because he goes all over the place. And we're excited to have him here today on the podcast again. So let's welcome Coach Rick Darlington. Coach, great to have you here again. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And Coach, we did like all your background before and talked about some of those things, and we'll link that for our listeners but we're going to get into some topics here. I think some very interesting things. You sent sent along some screenshots of a presentation. So um, we're just going to talk through a, a bunch of things that are in your philosophy. So we'll start with this one. The idea is don't be married to a system. Be married to winning. Yes, sir. I heard Coach Allen Trimble, you know, who was a jinx for so long and won many state championships out there. I heard him say that one time, and it's kind of married uh, – to, to, to how I've been in my career. You know, when I first started coaching, I uh, I wanted to run the, the offense that gave me the most problems as a defensive coach because I had been a defensive coordinator before I became a head coach. And at that time, back in the mid-'90s, that was the wing tee. You know, it, it was kind of a different offense. And I, the first time I ever saw it was 93. And so I became a, a head coach. We ran the wing tee. And so that was at Eustis High School. And so when I went to Apopka, you know, I thought I was going to be kind of like Nebraska eye offense. I thought they were great talent there. And I thought we kind of do what we wanted to do with the talent. And that was my plan going in. And it didn't last but about a game and a half. And uh, we kind of switched to back to the wing tee was what I knew. And then that first year we were kind of all over the map. We ran the wishbone, literally a three back wishbone and uh, ran some wing tee stuff and, it was my second year at Apopka back in 2000 that we kind of 
discovered the flex bone, you know, took th- some things out of the wing tee. I brought in some midline options and inside veer and ran that and won a state championship doing that. And then I went to Valdosta, Georgia, you know, very successful program over the, you know, almost hundred years now. And we were one and three running that offense. And so I felt I had to change because I didn't want to go down with the ship. And so we, we changed to kind of a combination of eye option and shotgun. You know, I called it shotgun back then. It wasn't spread as it is now, but, and we went from one and three to 11 and four and lost in the state championship game. And so I was there two more years, came back to Apopka, ran the flex bone, ran some, some, some gun stuff, didn't like that. And, and in 2007 is when we stumbled onto the single wing and ran that for 12 years at Apopka and had a lot of success running the single wing. And then I, and then I went back and uh, I took this job in Alabama and again, thought I was going to go in and run the single wing, which is what I knew and was unusual in this area. And we started off two and two, but then we had some backs get hurt and we were, we quickly went to two and five playing in a really, really difficult region. And so then we, uh, you know, I don't want to go down with a ship. Just like that back about Austin, 2003, we, we changed speeds in the middle of the season and uh, put in a bunch of option stuff, a lot of formations, some gun stuff, some eye stuff, some flex bone stuff. And we went and we upset three teams in a row and made the playoffs and, you know, had the number one team in the state on the ropes in the fourth quarter before we could finish that off. But, you know, totally turned our season around by changing offenses mid-year. And so it's kind of like I think a lot of people, because of our success at Apopka, you know, they look at me and, you know, consider me a single wing coach. And, you know, I'm very honored to be called that, you know, with the tradition of the single wing, you know, back through the, you know, Jim Thorpe and Pop Warner days of the early 1900s. To, to be associated with that kind of football is, is quite an honor. But it's not all I've run. You know, I've run the eye and the flex bone and the wing tee and the gun and single wing. And so I've done a lot of things in the in the years I've been a coach. And so, you know, I've always kind of encouraged coaches, you know, you, you don't just say, well, we're going to do what this team does or run this system. You know, kind of study football on your own and, and, and make your own decisions of what you can teach and what your players can handle. You know, and if it's not working, you know, I'm not the guy to sit there and say that, well, we'll just keep on working, working. This is going to work eventually. I don't, I don't have the patience for that. You know, I've got to fix it now and find a way to, to hopefully win now. And so that's kind of been the course of my offensive career. Coach, I agree with you. I don't think you can be a copy and paste team and just assume that because it worked over here for this school, it'll work for us. There's a lot that goes into it. And the mo- probably the biggest though is, you know, you did all those things. But knowing your approach is you knew a lot about that. You were able to coach it to your players still. It's not that, oh, this looks cool on paper or I saw a cool video clip of it. You are able to translate that to coaching on the field. Oh, there's no doubt about that, you know. And when you look back over it over time, you know, from the time I started coaching offense back in the early mid-90s, you know, there have been several things that that have been staples. You know, we're going to run the trap. You know, not many people run the trap nowadays. You know, it's kind of an inside zone world, I guess you'd say. But we run the trap. We're going to run the ISO. You know, we're going to run a gap scheme, which would be power and counter. We're going to run the sweep, you know, and uh, 
those are things that we're going to do. You know, so the, the schemes have been the same in whatever offense I've coached it. You know, if you put on the film, you know, the, the backs and the receivers may be different places, but you're going to see a gap scheme, trap, ISO, sweep. And those things have been constant. And, you know, I'm one of those guys, I know like you are too, Keith, that you're going to try to study ball and, and, and learn what people do. And, you know, again, not, not necessarily the mainstream people. I'm, I'm kind of watching, like as I'm sitting here right now, I'm watching Citadel play Georgia Tech in one of those recorded games from, you know, that, that we're getting to see on the SEC network and all that stuff. And, and so I'm watching Citadel, you know, run the option on Georgia Tech and, so it's like I like to study people that are kind of, I guess you'd say, you know, contrarian type offenses, not the mainstream type stuff. I've always kind of liked to see, because again, that's kind of one of those things that goes back to philosophy is if you're not, you either have to be better than everyone else or different. And you can't control the better. You know, now if you're Clemson or Oklahoma or, you know, Ohio State or whoever, you can go out and get the better players and you can be better. And there's high school teams like that that are just, better their talents better and i've never really been blessed to, to coach those type programs you know I've, at apopka we had some good players without a doubt you know and and i'm in a place now where we're a little bit undermanned you know compared to the people we play and so if i tried to line up and do you know the same things my opponents do even if i did them really good we might not have the talent to compete and to win in those games and so i think that we've got to do some different things that people don't prepare for every week you know i remember back when we first started trying to defend the wing tee back in the early 90s i mean it was crazy you know how do you how do you defend the crisscross and the the buck sweep and the trap and you know those were you know like oh my gosh well then once you see it you know five six seven times a year and you get a plan for it and your kids become familiar with it well then it's easier to stop you know as the same thing with the with the spread you know the spread is very difficult but when you see the spread every game, you get a plan. You learn this works, this doesn't work. This is how we can attack this. And, and your kids, you know, familiarity breeds confidence. And so when you play those teams, you get a little more confident on defense. Whereas if you're playing a single wing and we're doing spin series and stuff like that, and your scout squad can't emulate it, you know, simulate it and, and all that, it, it, it's a lot more difficult, I think, for the opponent. So again, I've, I'm, I've never been wanting to be different just to be different, but I've always wanted to be different and feeling that gives me the best yeah, chance Yeah, and, and I know on, on the surface, like if you look at some of the statements we're going to make here, they do look contrarian, but there's there's some really good logic behind it. And this next one is, again, I think one of those that on the surface people might scratch their head because it's not what – it's not the coach speak. It's not what we say at clinics, et cetera. Better to be good at several things than great at one. That's right. Yeah, I played at Lakeland High School for Coach Bill Castle. You know, he's won 450 games at Lakeland. He's been there as the head coach since 1976. Still the best offensive coach I've ever been around. You know, and I've I've, I've studied and talked to and met with and learned from a lot of them. But Coach Castle is the best. And it's like if you play Lakeland, you know, it's not one thing. You know, you don't know. You know, we played them in eyes of the popkin. We played them. In 2017, they won state championship, and we lost by a, a touchdown in the fourth quarter down there. And, you know, when you think about Lakeland over the years, you think about the I formation and then some spread stuff and the option. They got in double slot 
and they, they beat us on a wingback counter and then a jet sweep play to cut all the way back, and we over-pursued it. And so it's kind of like, you don't think about Lakeland High School beating you with those plays. It's just, but he's always got something. You know, he's always got something he's going to go to, you know, and he's going to find a way to move the ball and to score points. And it's like, you know, you watch them and they might be in the gun. They might be in double tight, you know, with one, with one back under center. They might be in the eye, you know, they might be in flex bone. And the schemes are all the same, you know, but, uh, but the, the presentation of it is somewhat different. You know, and I've always kind of thought the, the best offense that I've ever seen as far as I think being hard to defend was Nebraska back in the, especially the mid-90s to the early 2000s time, you know, when Frank Solich was still there and obviously Coach Osborne. But, you know, you knew they were going to get in the eye. You knew they were going to run the option. But then they might be in double slot. They might be in two tights, one back. They might be in you know, flex bone, you know, they would present it so many different ways, but they would just pound with the running game. And then they had the play action passes and then they had the option. And you had guys like, you know, Tommy Frazier and Scott Frost and Eric Crouch, you know, running the option at you. And I've always thought, I mean, that was the offense of all of them that I thought would be the toughest, you know, to have to defend and that I'd like to run if possible. So that's always kind of in the back of my mind. <laughs> you know, how, how can we be like Nebraska back in those days? Absolutely. The The next point you have here, coach, I think is a really good one. And, and um, back in 2003 for me, I just told this story on, on a podcast with, he's the head coach at Notre Dame college here in Cleveland, a division two. And, this was back at the time I'm coaching against him when he's a high school kid. And anyway, at the end of that night, we're watching the playoff points for Ohio. It's it's all done on the computer. And so we see us, you know, dropping, you know, slowly over the course of the night and then out of the playoffs. And from there, though, we really got into thinking about what, what do we need to do to beat the best teams? Because we have all this stuff that's great against some of the teams that we could beat no matter what, you know, we're using – Yet, at the same time, we're not looking at the top of, of the people who are right now the best on our schedule. So that, that is exactly the point. Design your offense to beat the best team you play. Absolutely. You know, that that brings me back to a point of when, when I was at Apopka the first time, we were the team that we had to beat, you know, to, to get into the playoffs and to move through the playoffs was Orlando Evans. You know, they were in inner, inner, inner city school with, with great talent. And you know, the thing about them was I could never figure out where they were going to line, line up. <laughs> and, you know, when you run the option back then, you know, you have to know who's got dive, who's got quarterback, you know, who's got pitch, are they covering the pass? And we, so what we did is we designed, because I would do stuff like I'd go unbalanced left thinking they're going to, they're going to, you know, overshift and I can run back to the right. Well, they wouldn't. They would just line up normal and then I'd have a bad play call. And that's when we started going no huddle. And I'm not a no huddle coach, but we went no huddle back then because I wanted to line up and see where they lined up and then call my play. You know, so we had to defeat them. And when we went to that type of offense, that's what it took to beat them. You know, and so it's like wherever you go on your schedule, you know, there's one or two teams that, if we can't beat them, we're not going to make the playoffs. And so I think that that's who you've got to design your offense to beat them, you know, whatever it is. You know, if it's running option, if it's running, you know, a lot of passing games, screens, whatever it is, I think you got to try to beat those people. You try to see where they're weak and how people beat them. 
you know, and, and then I think that if you get really good at that type of offense, you're going to beat the other people too, you know, but as you said, if you sit there and design something to beat the team that's five and five, you know, that's not going to help you when you're playing the team that's nine and one. Coach, this next one I think is an interesting point, and I'm, I'm ex- excited to hear your thoughts on this. Run the option, but don't be an option team. Right, and that's that goes back to, and, and again, when I say that, it's a little bit misconstrued in the fact that we played a team, when I, when I was at Apopka, there, there was a team called Lake Brantley High School, and they were a great option team. I mean, they ran inside, outside, veer, and midline better than anyone I've ever seen. They were really, really good at it. And they made us better because we always opened the season with them, and we had to line up against those guys and, and, and be able to take away those plays. And if you missed, if you didn't squeeze all the way down and get your you know headgear across the fullback on those inside runs, you know they're gonna they're gonna gas you. And so it made us a better team. But then we kind of figured out how to defend them. And the way to defend them was just be very very sound in what you do. You know you can't have gimmicks and junk defenses and blitz all that stuff. You got to be really disciplined to do the same thing every play. But the thing about them was they didn't have much other offense. You know, they didn't throw play action very much off the option. You know, they didn't have a lot of plays to just give the ball, you know, to a fullback or a wingback. And so when we were designing our offense there, you know, I said, well, I want to run option. It's going to be a big part of what we do. But we also want to be able to hand the ball off to a wingback, hand the ball off to you know, the fullback, you know, when, when we won our first state championship at Apopka, you know, we were sitting there and we were considered a flex bone team. And we got in there in the first quarter of the state championship game in 2001. And we were down two to zero and had negative eight yards of offense. And I'm thinking we're going to lose this game by a baseball score. And uh, we ended up running the wingback counter tray play and the jet sweep the rest of the game. Those were our two biggest plays. And we ended up rushing for 360 yards the next three quarters and won the state championship. But it was an option that got us there. You know, it was it was running the ball with either the wing back or the full back, and and that's what it was. And so, you know, that that's kind of uh, where, where where I have been is I want to have predetermined run plays where I can get guys the ball because sometimes the quarterback, you know, defenses are good and they're going to put looks out there at the quarterback and. I don't want him to have to read his way to our success the entire game. You know, I want to be able to take some of the heat off him. And that's why I've always kind of been a lot more into double options than triple options. And that goes back to my Nebraska influence is that, you know, Nebraska ran zero triple options. People think they did, but they, they were not. They're, they're you know, they're going to hand the ball off, you know, on a zone dive, and then they're going to run zone options. They, they'd inside zone the dive and outside zone the options. They'd run trap and trap option. You know, they'd run speed option, but they didn't ever run triple. You know, and so that's just, and again, I love the triple option teams. You know, Georgia Tech and you know Air Force, Navy, Army. I love watching those teams. They're probably my favorite teams. But um, you know, I've always thought that you know double options against you say be less expensive. You know, and I think that it's really really valuable to be able to run option. And again, that's how we upset people this year. That's how we had a chance in the playoffs is just running the option because people don't see it all the time. And, and so I think that option football is great, but it kind of goes back to the whole 
theory of life and like all things are good in moderation. You know, it's like I don't want to run all of anything. I don't want to be all passing. I don't want to be all running. I don't want to be all option. You know, I want to kind of be able to do several things good well, as you mentioned earlier, you know, instead of being great at one thing. Because I've been the team that was great at one thing, Keith, and got beat. You know, because when a team when a team figures out that one thing that you always do great and they stop it, what else do you have to go to? You know, one of the most memorable games I've ever seen was in, in uh, 1999, there was a team called Trinity Christian out of Jacksonville. and We ended up breaking their uh, state scoring record in 2013. We, they had a state scoring record of 50 points a game. We broke it. And what's ironic is this. Trinity Christian plays Frostproof, who was 6-4 and four going into the playoffs. And Frostproof beat them 6 nothing. Did not even get a first down threw a touchdown pass and beat them 6 nothing, And so Trinity Christian, who is this juggernaut scoring machine, Frostproof stopped them and won a state championship. Well, the same thing happened in 2013. We averaged 50.1 points per game, and when it came down to the uh, state championship game, a team finally was able to kind of put the brakes off a little bit, and we ended up losing the state championship game. So, you know, I'd rather go ahead and finish up and win that ring instead of getting the scoring title. <laughs> You know, and so I've kind of seen I've seen a team lose like that, and I've been a part of one that lost like that. It's kind of painful. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. You know, especially when you think about, you know, when you're a coordinator, especially earlier in your career, and you have you know aspirations to become a head coach or to you know to climb in the in the levels you're coaching at. You kind of get caught up in some of those stats that are only specific to the offense. And you have to keep in mind that, you know, all of this is done to get that W. How does it work with your defense? How does it work with your special teams? Oh, absolutely. You know, when, again, coming into this new job, we knew that our defense was going to be the big area of concern. You know, the school had been last in the state in our class of defense in both 17 and 18. And so, I'm thinking we can't do any type of offense that's going to hurt our defense. You know, we got to be able to run the ball, take long drives, you know, make sure that we don't, you know, let, let the other team get the ball very quickly. So that was kind of the, the goal going in, you know. And then with special teams too, you know, I mean, again, honestly, we weren't very good at special teams this year. we got to get better in that area too. But, again, I guess my, my velocity would be somewhat – old-fashioned in nature, you know, and that you want to be really solid in your special teams and use the field position game and, and play great defense. And, you know, as me and my coaches talk here in this offseason, it's always like, okay, what position are we going to play this guy at? And it's always like, well, can you use him on defense? And if a guy can play defense, you know, that's where you want to put him, you know, and try to win games like that because it's hard, especially, again, where I am in Alabama. We're not going to beat people, you know, 35-34. There's just no way, you know, but if we can, you know, hold the points down and maybe went to 21-20 games, you know, that would be that would be the way we could win here. So if we're going to win, we're going to have to win with defense, and that means kind of a ball control offense. And, you know, we were talking the other day as a staff, okay, how are we going to how are we going to signal the plays in this year and this and that? And I go, we're not going to do that. You know, we're going to we're going to have a receiver, you know, back like when I played, and when the ball's tackled, the receiver's going to go in there and he's going to uh, tell the quarterback the next play. And that's just kind of how we're going to do it. And so, you know, old fashioned is good. You know, I mean, I'm watching some 
film and looking back and seeing, okay, we can run this stuff out of the high formation. It's kind of like when I first started coaching Keith, it's like every play you drew up, you drew up against, you know, it was an eye formation play and you were going to defend the isolation play first out of the defense. And now it's kind of like, you just don't see the eye, you know, maybe Wisconsin a little bit, but not a lot of people do that kind of offense anymore. So. No, that's it. You know, and, and as you, you started off saying, you know, don't get, don't be great at one thing, but you know, ultimately you are going to have your best plays. And that was one of the next points you had. And as far as a topic in our conversation is, Find a way to keep your best plays alive. Right. Yeah, we uh I think we've been known for, you know, gap schemes probably most more than anything else. I mean, I think that, you know, w- when I was when I was coaching in the wing tee and and like I said earlier in the flex bone, even in the eye formation, you know, our counter tray was our was our best play. And so, you know, I've kind of got I'm always X and O and with my coaches and trying to figure out how we can block the counter trade better, how we can do this. Do we, do we need to get in this formation? Do we need to run it to a tight end? Do we need to run it with double tights and check the play? You know, how do, how do we want to do that? You know, and so I think that uh, you you got to have different ways. And I'm thinking back in our single wing package, you know, we've probably got several ways to run our counter, you know, probably three, two, three ways we can block the counter differently we have naked plays, which I guess you'd say would protect the counter, you know, where, you know, we're going to block counter, but we're really going to run sweep. And so the the linebackers are reading counter, but we're have, taking the ball around the end and running the sweep. And so, you know, that, that's a way to, to keep play alive. And then with power, you know, there's, we have three different ways we block the power play based on the defensive alignment, you know, because I think, okay, against, against this front, doing it this way is not the best way to do it. And so I don't want it to be a, a one-size-fits-all thing and say, okay, we're going to run it this way, and if we don't if, – if, if it doesn't work, we'll just either go on to the next play or, you know, we just won't have success. I want to have success with our plays, you know. And one of the things I've learned, too, over, over time, and I joke about this, but the one coach who's beaten me more than anyone else is definitely me. <laughs> and th- that's just because, you know, I'll coach myself. You know, I get into a game, and I'm thinking, okay – well, this team, we're not going to be able to line up and run power and counter sweep on this team. They're just, they're too well coached, they're too athletic. And so I'll come up with some, you know, elaborate adjustments and game plan and formations. And, and then you get in there in the game, and it's kind of like those things don't really phase good teams, but then you got your kids out of the comfort zone. And so then in the second half, it's kind of like back to basics. And, you know, we won a lot of games and several state championships at Apopka lining up in one formation and run a power, counter, ISO, and sweep. And we did that in and, 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 and 8A, big school in Florida, won state championships and set school or state scoring records doing just simple things. You know, and we got a lot of signs up in our field house. And I think my favorite sign in that field house by Chuck Knoll of the Steelers, you know, who won four Super Bowls, he said, champions aren't champions because they do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things better than anyone else. And that just speaks to the fundamentals of the game and just believing in what you do and, you know, teach the best base block in the world and be better at base blocking than any other team, you know, and then however you incorporate that base block into your offense, you know, believe in that and run that and, and, and trust that it's going to win, you know? So again, I've, I've, uh, 
I've coached myself out of more wins than than, 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 than anyone else, and so I have to always kind of t- talk to myself, hey, big game, let's be simple, you know, and, and do the things you're good at. You know, you, people say great defensive coordinators, you know, want you to beat them uh, left-handed. They want you to beat them without your best. So they're going to take away your best stuff and make you beat him with something else. Well, I don't need to take away my own best stuff, you know, because you're not going to go into a game and fool someone for four quarters in a big game and win that way. You know, you might fool them on a play, maybe a series, but, you know, great teams are great teams for a reason because they're going to adjust and play, you know, and so I don't want to – I don't want to coach myself out of getting wins by, you know, taking away our best stuff. And so I always want to, you know, if we have a play, I want to have, you know, I want to have all the the uh, ifs and ands covered on if this defense lines up like this, can we run the play? And honest to goodness, Keith, is like if, if my play is not good against pretty much everything I'm going to see, I don't need to run that play. You know, it's like it's got to be a universally good play. And so if it requires a certain formation or a certain defense to run it against and I'm not going to see that every week, then I don't need to run that play. Good point, good point. I really like this other one. Coach, the next one I should say, uh, utilize misdirection and reverses. I, I love the misdirection game. Um, and, and as far as reverse, I think people think, well, it's a trick play. It needs to hit, hit big. And, and I, I think um, I remember watching, I believe it was Steve Lobotsky when he was at, shoot, I think he was at Wake at the time in a clinic and showed, you know, they, they ran reverse a lot. And his whole mentality with his players was, you know, hey, it's a run. It every, We want every run to gain, gain four yards or better. So if it gains four, it's good. But when you think about the effect of that reverse, you know, let's say it only gains those four yards, but but now it's going to help open up things inside for you because that those guys on the edge really start to think about, I better stay home. No question. It's ironic you bring up Steve because – I just spent three days with him and the Air Force staff back at the beginning of March. You know, I went out there and was studying what they do with the option game. My uh, my son just committed to play quarterback for them out there, and so you know, I'm kind of learning what they do because I think it fits a lot of the things that I want to do on offense. And so I remember those Wake Forest days. They're the first team that I saw that would bring that orbit motion in, you know, and they'd run the inside zone off it, and they'd give the reverse, and they'd fake it and boot off of it. You know, I thought, oh, that's really great stuff, you know, and those guys, and Jim Grove was the head coach back then. I think Troy Calhoun was on that staff before that, and now he's the head coach. Those guys have all kind of matriculated, it seems like, out to, out to Air Force. But, you know, one thing we've always done pretty good is run reverses. And in the 2012 state championship game, we ran seven reverses. And I don't think any two of them look the same. We use different formations, but I love reverses. And again, like exactly like you said, it's just to me a weak side. You know, we're going to run that play, you know, just like a sweep. And it's just, it's a misdirection sweep. And to me, it's better than trying to, you know, scheme it up with your tailback or a wingback or something like that. You know, you get a receiver, you know, to get, to get the ball around there. So we run, I think, three or four different reverses with backfield action, but we block them all the same. And we kind of got a unique way and then we block it. And I like the way we block it. And then the blocking scheme has come from, you know, years of saying, I don't really like this. Or what if they line up like this? And so in 2016, we kind of came up with a way to block it. that I thought encompass all fronts and defenses we could see. We started doing that. And so the two things we do is once we got our scheme down on the reverse, 
then we're going to uh, change the backfield action on how we do it. You know, we got one off option. We've got one off sweep. We've got one Statue of Liberty one. Okay, so then we have, so now it looks like there's three different reverses, even though they're blocked all the same. But then the last thing I like to do is change the formations up, you know, and I, you know, like this game, okay, we're going to run this reverse of this guy out of this formation. Well, next, next game, we're going to come up in this formation and we'll motion this guy over here. And then they're looking for him on the reverse. We're going to run the reverse to this other guy and use that first guy as a decoy. But the, um, the ground is we're going to block it the same. You know, and that's one of the things I know that you may bring up later about schemes. And, you know, we want to we wanna make it look different to the defense, but we want to keep it simple for the offensive line. When the, when the offensive line can handle it, and I feel good when I sit there and talk about a play and the offensive line looks at me and they know exactly what I'm talking about because it works with a scheme we already run. And the backs, they kind of like it when you change it around with them and move them around. And so it's kind of like, it seems like backs like to move around and do different stuff. But with the offensive line, as long as they know how to block it, they're good. And so that's kind of our goal with reverses is we're going to run them, and we're going to run them a lot, and uh, we're going to block them all the same but kind of make them look different. Yeah, I really like the orbit motion. I was talking to Tyler Roll, the offensive coordinator at uh, National Champ North Dakota State the other day, and, and we were talking about this, and, you know, information-wise and, you know, the, the whole numbers thing has been a big thing. And, you know, we talked about the effect of having that orbit motion, having a quarterback, you know, threatening the other way with, with boot action, that you have a play when you do that that essentially is threatening both flanks and has somebody up the middle. And, and when you're able to have that threat on both flanks, now you're going to have to do some things. You can't just say, oh, well, this guy's running out here and faking you know, they'll stop respecting it. But when you have that and you, you mix that up a little bit, you, by the nature of it, start to spread that defense out. So if you were, as an example, a stacked eye team, double tight, and you just ran straight in the middle, well, there's nothing really to hold those guys on the outside. They get their initial run keys and everybody's there to rally and make a play. But now when you are, you know, you got a threat of a sweep, whether that's through jet or through orbit one side, you have the threat of that booter naked on the other and your play up the middle, no matter what that scheme is, guys have to stay home. Those safeties who everybody says, oh, we're going to play nine in the box with our safeties. Yeah, not not so much anymore. Those guys have to be worried about getting outflanked. So they're not going to be quick to, to fill and, and make a hit there at, you know, four or five yards. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing is the, the final piece of the puzzle on that thing would be, the reverse pass, you know, and there's the fake, the reverse quarterback throws the pass. And then there's the one where you actually give the reverse, you know, to a receiver coming around and he throws the pass. And, Cause a lot of times receivers, you know, maybe we're high school quarterbacks and they can throw a little bit too. And again, it's not like you're going through a progression on it. It's kind of like, look, he's going to stalk and go and throw it to him. And so I think that, uh, once I started designing reverses, I always try to put a reverse pass in with it. You know, and if we're going to run this reverse enough, then the pass is going to be a good part of it too. So again, that's just whole part of the misdirection thing. And as you say, it's kind of it's almost like triple optionish. It's a four pronged thing. You've got your outside play, you got your reverse, you got the inside play you're faking, and then you got the pass off of it. So again, those are things that. You know, they're considered trick plays, you know, and when I've been speaking for Glazier, you know, I've done a whole session on trick plays and 
but it's not so much that I'm talking about trick plays as much as I'm talking about at least a third of the talk is on reverses. And I do think you got to treat them as not a, a thing that you just kind of put in for a game. But, you know, when we go out for our first practice, whenever that is, again, it was going to be in spring football and hopefully it still will be. We don't know. But whenever you go out for your first practice of the year, I always have a period of 10 minutes we're going to run. We call it barnyard play. That comes from Coach Bowden. You know, because when I first started coaching, you know, Florida State was the trick play team, if you remember. You know, so I, I think so many times I've, uh, I've, I've watched Florida State and I've gotten not only plays from them back with Coach Bowden coached, but also just his philosophy of running, you know, those type plays. And so what we'll do is we'll go out the first day and we're going to put in a reverse and we're going to put in a screen. That's day one. And then we're going to put in the next day during that period we're going to run the reverse again, run the screen again. Well, then the third day, you know, we might put another reverse in, but with the same blocking. And then we might have another look at the screen, but with the same blocking. So I think those things are things that if you just, if you have a period of practice, you practice them. And we practice them on on air all the time. We don't want our scout squad to mess it up. (laughs) But we'll go out there and we'll practice those things on air and, 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 and work them and work them. And then I think our kids have got confidence in them, you know, so. There's one of those things you can't you can't really over rep you know those plays. I think that they got to be ready when you're going to use them. Yeah, I, I thought of it for myself as components of the trick play. So when you look, there's some common components, and and I, I did a whole actually manual on this, an ebook on it. But you know, it's for example, you know, an exchange and a throw, or a catch and a, a pitch, or you know, you receive an exchange and you exchange, like there's these skills that you can work over and over and then we'll go into, you know, different kind of looks, but I I would just call the period. And of course the kids are going to have fun with it. Just a circus circuit, right? That all, all these, (laughs) all these skills are happening, you know, early on, let the lineman in it too, because there's certainly trick plays, you know, you, you can, for example, sprint one way and, and throw a little pass back to a tackle who could throw it down the field. Now, are you going to do it all the time? Or are you going to find those guys? No, but those guys will certainly uh, be engaged in trying to show you their talents early on when you introduce that. <laughs> Absolutely. It seems like every one of these replayed NFL games I'm watching, I'm seeing a tackle catch a touchdown pass. You know, I saw what the Bills did that to the Patriots yesterday on the replay, so – yeah, that's kind of a fun thing, you know. And, the, again, those plays are fun. And, you know, the, he, what, the thing is, Keith, it's kind of unusual. When I was doing this Glazer Clinic talk and I was going back through all these trick plays that we ran over the years, it was amazing how many of them were crucial in either rivalry games or playoff games. I mean, it was just uncanny that almost every one was a crucial, you know, win that we had to have. And so it kind of goes back to, it's like the opposite of your um, what we said about your offense being designed to beat the best team on your schedule. With your with your you know special plays, you know you, you kind of save those and run them when you need them. You know against the teams you need to beat. You know if you're going to go out there and win fifty to nothing, you don't need to run a bunch of reverses and trick plays because then they're going to get on film for the teams that you really have to beat. You know, but there there are things you got to practice them all the time to get ready for them. And, one thing we do is we, we always have a period in practice every day. We go best on best. And we'll run anywhere from nine to 18 plays of our best on best. and We keep score and move the chains. It's really intense period. But what we do is we will be working on those special plays on air 
you know, up for weeks up to with the time we actually try them out in best on best. And so it's kind of one of those things that, you know, if it works against your best defense in a best on best situation, that's when you know it's kind of ready to go. Because, again, run and trick plays on the scout squad. Shoot, they don't, half the time they go the wrong way. You know, they don't play run fakes. They kind of just mill around out there like a bunch of cows. And so I'd rather not even have them on the field when we're working on those kind of plays. You just, you know, on every on every special play you run, there's probably going to be about three or four key guys that you've got to block or read or whatever. And what we do is we just have coaches stand in those positions, you know, because we know that they they're, they're going to be the ones that have got to be. They know how to react to the play like a real defense would, and so we use our coaches to kind of rep yeah, those plays. Yeah, I, I love so. the good on good. That's something we would do when I was at Baldwin Wallace and. It was funny early on if, if we had a trick play going because, you know, the defensive coordinator and I, great friends, but very competitive. So I know he'd always try to script something to screw me up. And so I just started leaving it blank. And then we'd get into those periods and he'd see a blank. He's, hey, it's a trick play. Watch a trick play. I'm like, come on, Jim. <laughs> but, you know, I think <laughs> I never got yeah. upset if a play didn't work in practice because there's always that kid on the other side who's really smart too, and he's like, oh, "I know what this is going to be," and then he's standing there to, to you know, the scout team here. I'll stand in there to make the play. So I never really would get upset, and, and we would we would probably spend more time on air and working on the timing of those kinds of things, and if needed, working you know some technique things individually so we get a few more reps than trying to run the play with all eleven guys or twenty two with a scout team. Right, I'm with you. It's funny every time we run a reverse and best on best, you know who makes a tackle is a linebacker will run through and make the tackle, and I can tell you that's right. never happened <laughs> again. I've never one time had a linebacker run through the line exactly. scrimmage to make the tackle. The, so, the next one we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I, I believe this 100%. Boots are easy to throw and hard to defend. I mean, when you look at you know, two of the options in that, it, one's like a five-yard throw, the other one's a 12-yard throw. So very, very easy to do. No question. And we, uh, when I first started out, I was a defensive coordinator, and I remember the meetings upon meetings and talks about how are we going to defend the boot? Okay, which backer is going to pull the quarterback? Which backer is going to try to get under the drag? Is the safety going to jump the drag? and leave the corner man-to-man on the post. And it's, it was just exhausting to try to defend it. And, you know, back then in those uh, in those games, we were playing Bradenton Manatee a lot, and Tommy Frazier was the quarterback for Manatee. And so him out there on the bootleg pass is different than, you know, me or you running the quarterback on the bootleg pass. And so those were tough times. And so, you know, then when I first started coaching offense, as I said, we ran the – the wing tee and the waggle pass, you know, was the boot. That was the best one. We started coming up with different routes on the waggle pass, you know, waggle throwback, waggle with the fullback sneaking out and down the middle and, and stuff. So I always kind of love bootleg passes and I know that they're just really hard to defend, you know, and uh, like you said, that fullback in the flat is always the easy throw. And it seems like if he's open, that means that the, someone's probably coming to get the quarterback, and that's the throw. If he gets covered, then the quarterback's probably going to have time to hit the drag. That drag's hard to cover. And so I love boot passes. And, again, I think they could be from any any formations. I do think that the under center, I've always felt boot passes are, are better under center. 
I think that once you get in the gun, you lose a little bit of the deception and the full downhill run action of the play, you know, but, you know, I like to be, you know, able to run boots almost off any one of our base run passes, you know, and there's three ways you can block boots. You know, you can block a boot with a, with full protection, with a guard pulling out there for the quarterback. You can block and make it, you know, or you're basically selling the run play and the quarterback's going to beat the defensive end by himself. Or you can run a boot pass where your fullback blocks the defensive end, and then you don't have him as the flat runner. So we have all those in our in our in our offense. And I say our offense, that's going forward. You know, going forward towards next season. Obviously, our season ended back in November, and I've been tinkering ever since and working on stuff ever since, even before this pandemic broke out. Kind of had the plan going, and so. You know, I say in our offense, it's kind of more in our future offense than it is in the one we ran last year. But definitely learned a lot last year by, uh, you know, having to change offense mid mid-season, you know, to try to save our season, which, you know, we definitely – I felt we definitely finished strong down the stretch. So, and uh, like you said, bootleg passes are just really, really good ones. And it's a lot of times that people say, well, what are the, people will contact me about the single wing stuff because they go, well, my quarterback got hurt. I don't have a quarterback, so I'm going to run the single wing. And it's kind of like, well, the quarterback, almost any quarterback can throw a bootleg pass. You know, our all of our quarterbacks throw boots better than they do drop back passes. And I don't know if that's because of being natural athletes and being able to, you know, go ahead and throw the run, or if it's because on a bootleg pass, a lot of times you don't have someone rushing in your face and you're standing still. But it seems like, you know, whatever kind of quarterback you have, you can throw football passes. So if we're not putting together our passing game, that's definitely going to be the number one thing we're going to throw. You know, it'll probably be about, I'd say, at least 50% of our passing game is going to be boot throws. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on something you said there about the the boots being better from under center than gun. You do really want to get that downhill mentality, that downhill fill from the defense and in reaction of the defense. But I could say this because we struggled. We were we were a, a gun team with the the running back next to our quarterback and, and the cell wasn't great. It just it just didn't really fool the defense. And what we did though to maintain that and to not have to go under center but to be a, a really good naked team was that we reversed out on all of our runs from the pistol. So I told, I told our uh, quarterbacks early on when we started doing that, that we were turning them into old single wing spinnerbacks. But that's exactly what it looks like. They're going to catch and reverse out. And with what we would do with, with our handwork and, and our eyes and the, and the tempo of it, we had some incredibly big plays. And, and you know, I have a whole bunch of those on on YouTube where I could show you guys on defense just chasing a ball all the way down the field and the quarterback's out on the other edge running the naked and throwing to somebody uncovered. So uh, that, to me, that would be one answer to look at. If you want to stay in the in the gun to look at pistol and doing things that way and not, again, it's not opening up to it. It's reversing out opposite of where you want the run. And when we first did it, it was always going over to the other side and asking our our linebackers and safeties, what'd you guys see? And like, we're, we're losing the ball. The ball disappears from us. We don't know where it's at. And that's exactly what you want on any kind of run fake. I agree with you. Another boot that people did to us this year that was kind of nasty was 
they found a way to get a guy out in the flat behind the line. Like they'd have a guy in a tight slot formation, say in trips to the left, and they'd run a run action pass to the or run run action to the left. But then the 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 third guy in trips would come behind the line and then slide out in the flat. And we had we had trouble covering that one this year, so that was kind of one that since I can't defend it good, I figured we'll put it in our arsenal somehow. <laughs> The next one is important, and you know, think back to just the end of the uh, NFL season, the NFC Championship. You have the San Francisco 49ers getting to the Super Bowl, and they only pass the ball eight times. So you got to run to win. Yeah, I've always felt that way, and that kind of goes back to you know the coaches that I've always admired the most. You know, whether it be Coach Bryant, you know, Coach Osborne. You know, Coach Switzer, Oklahoma, all those teams that I watched growing up, you know, they're great run teams. And I think great evidence of that is this year is when you look at the top teams running the ball in the NCAA, you know, you look at Navy went 11-2, Air Force went 11-2. Those teams could not have won 11 games throwing the ball. There's just no way. But the one that's kind of the funny one to look at is people don't get it is Kentucky was like fourth in the nation in rushing. And Kentucky won a lot of games this year, and they had a guy they didn't consider a real quarterback. You know, they had some injuries, and they played a guy at quarterback who was a receiver and very, very creative in their run game and went out there and won, I think it was eight or nine games and was fourth in the country in rushing. You know, so, you know, that's that's pretty great coaching on their part. And, again, I think when you, when you run the ball, there's so many good things that happen when you run the ball effectively. And, you know, people used to use a great, you know, cliche that someone said when you – throw the ball, three things can happen, and two of them are bad, you know, but there's a whole lot more bad than, than two. I can, I can think of a lot. I can think of about 12, but I won't do that now, but I'll say this. If you go out and you're playing a team and, you know, you get the ball on the 20-yard line and you throw an 80-yard post route on the first play for a touchdown, and if you were to listen in on that defensive sideline when they come off the field, I guarantee you the coordinator would be telling them to settle down, the players would be upset that they got fooled, and they'd be saying, okay, we got this. That won't happen again. And it probably wouldn't. But if you went from your 20-yard line and you took, say, 16 plays and drove five yards a shot down the field and scored, now you go into that defensive huddle on the sideline, I bet the mood would be different. You know, what are we doing? Why can't we stop this? we got to be tougher. We got... There's a whole different mentality to getting the ball slammed in between the tackles on you than it is when you throw it over the top. 16 plays or one play. And I think a great example of that was this bowl game this year when the uh, Air Force played Washington State. You know, Washington State drove down the field. They gave up the ball on like the two-yard line. And uh, Air Force drove, you know, the rest of the – they went on a 21-play drive, took up the entire rest of the first quarter, and then scored. And, uh, you know, eventually ended up winning the game. And I guarantee you, Coach Leach and those guys are thinking, we can't get the ball. You know, they want the ball. They're a great offensive team. And, you know, so, again, that helps your defense. If you can take that time and eat up clock and grind the other team, wear them down physically and mentally. And so I think that's kind of the way that, you know, football still can be a physical physical game, you know, if you coach it that way. And that's what, what we want to do. And I think that's a, that's a great way to win. And there's lots of ways to win. You know, I know lots of people – win with the passing game and that, but, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier is you don't see a lot of teams winning if they're totally one extreme or the other. 
you know, the all passing team or the all running game, you know, they're, they're usually the ones winning the championships. You know, you, you, you usually got to have a little bit of the other, you know, you know, but I think if you go back and look at it, especially in high school, I think that you'll find that the teams that win the championships probably run the ball more effectively than they yeah, pass. I think you're right there. And the last point we had you alluded to earlier, schemes are expensive, but formations are cheap. Right. And I think that's the, the whole premise of what I'm working on right now for our offense is, you know, I know the run schemes we're going to run. You know, I, I, those are in. There's no, there's no question. Now, the question is, what formations do I like? You know, do I like this play from the eye, from double slot, from single wing? You know, do I like it from the gun? Do I want to use an H-back on this? And that may sound like, oh, my gosh, it's a smorgasbord offense. Well, I don't feel that way because I don't feel that that's what we're, you know, we're doing. You know, what we're doing is we're, these are the run schemes that I like over the 30 years I've had as a coach. This is what I like. And so I can coach these schemes. Our kids can block these schemes. But when you start moving kids around, that's not bad. And I kind of go back to the season. You know, we were two and five. We had an open week. I brought my coaches in. I said, listen, we're going to change. Here's what we're going to run. We're going to run option. We're going to run bootlegs. We're going to run counter tray. We're going to run a stretch outside zone play. And when we did that, we started winning. And now I'm going ahead towards the next season. I'm thinking, okay, these are my schemes, but if I run it out of this set, I can get these two receivers on the field, and they've worked hard. They have some talent. They deserve to play. Well, then if I jump into this set, well, I go two tights, and I've got this other kid, and he can play tight in here. Same scheme for the O-line, but now I'm just putting another set out there for the defense staff to defend. And, again, I think a lot of the stuff that I talk about, it goes back to Nebraska. You know, and I think about what they were doing back in the – in the nineties and, you know, they're anywhere from double tight to four wide to three back eye, you know, and they're kind of a lot of guys are getting in there. And I think the more, the more kids you get on the field in different packages is good, but the, and I, and I want to do that. But at the same time, I also, I think back to this and Keith, you'll probably remember this 2008 national championship game, Oklahoma played Florida and Florida ended up winning that game. But if you remember, Oklahoma was averaging 50 points a game that year and they got beat. But I remember the thing about it was, I remember that people said they were so difficult to defend because they could go anywhere from three tight ends to four wide with the same person. And I think that on the higher levels of all, you know, college ball, NFL ball, when you can do that and not sub guys in and out and you could run the same, the same, uh, a lot of formations, few schemes, but a lot of formations with the same personnel, that's probably a good thing. And again, I think of our defensive meetings where they go, okay, if they put this other guy in here, we got to go to this package and stuff. So again, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to run the same thing with the same guys. But the other end of the coin is too, I'd like to be able to have some other guys that come in and have a, a role in the game too. So it's kind of both, both, both sides of that coin on that too. So, Coach, to finish things up, I do have a few coaches who submitted questions here. We'll do just a quick Q&A. So thank you to Terrence Banks, Nick Klein, Hansel, and Nicholas Jacobs for submitting questions. And we've kind of talked a a little bit about this next one, but if we could just touch on it quickly. You know, the idea you said you want to be able to keep your best plays alive. So Coach Klein, Hansel, 
wanted to know how do you protect your base plays? Well, like I said, you just have to have different blocking schemes for each one. You know, like we have three ways we block power. We have, you know, probably three or four ways we block counter. We've got several ways we block the trap. So it's not like if I have a play, this is how we're going to block it. And if they defend it this way, then we just don't have a play. You know, if, if it's a base play, I want to have answers for whatever the defense does. And that may mean that I don't have as many plays, but I do have, you know, four, five, six base plays and they might have multiple calls to them. So I kind of want to be an expert at right. those plays. And then really kind of I'm going to combine these two, both Coach Banks and Coach Jacobs wanted to know about that weekly routine that you have during the season and how you guys are preparing for Friday. Well, I think that he's probably talking about single wing, you know, because when you run the single wing – you don't know how the defense is going to defend you. And it's the same with option. You know, the more unusual your offense, the more unusual defenses you're going to see. You know, if I were to be a two-by-two or three-by-one spread coach, I could get film from the opponent playing those teams, and I have a pretty good idea how they line up. But when you run somewhat of a different offense, you don't always get that. And so what we would do is we would practice against different fronts every day, you know, like on – Monday, we might go against an over front and an under front. And then on Tuesday, we might go against odd fronts. And then on Wednesday, we might go against unusual fronts like, you know, a TNT bear look or a look where they cover all the play side linemen. And so we, we were not necessarily trying to line up and go against the look we thought the other team would give us. We are going against all the different looks that we could see. And it served as well because, again, I probably coached well over 100, if not 200, single-wing games of football. And I think one time, only one time, was I able to predict the defense and what they would do. And so I think you have to practice, I guess, a lot of different fronts during your scout periods, you know, and and, and kind of teach it that way and, and just give them all the different looks. But, again, our plays have always been built on kind of like it's not so much the defensive structure we're trying to identify – it's more like the point of attack. You know, is this guy covered? If he's covered, make this call. If he's uncovered, make this call. It's just not like, well, that's a that's a 3-4 defense with a robber. We don't get into it that much with our guys. It's really more like the point right. of attack. Coach, I really appreciate you taking this time with us here and uh, sharing all these great ideas for coaches. I think coaches will get a lot out of this podcast. And I know you're not a big Twitter guy or anything like that, but if guys had questions, what's the best way for them to, to contact you? Well, they can send me a text. My cell number is 352-455-9563. And so they can do that. And, you know, if they if they tweet something at me, I have a tweeter. Twitter. Tweeter, Twitter. <laughs> I, I've got that. And so I just don't – I've never done a tweet. So I just kind of read what everyone else is doing. I'm trying to learn from them. But if someone asks a question on there, I can certainly try to answer it. Maybe someday <laughs> I'll actually send one of those things out. <laughs> And then the world would probably end if I were to do that. So, so I'm so nervous about it. It's like I got this 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 Twitter thing, and it's like I can't I can't do a post because I don't know what my first one would be. be so I'm kind of nervous about it. So, so coach, that. I'll just tell you this: when when you do that first one, it's going to be addicting, and you'll be on it forever. So just think about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I'm good just reading. Well, Coach, again, it was great today. catching up with you. Best of luck to, to you and Enterprise High School when you're able to get going again here.
Yeah, I appreciate it, Keith. Thanks for including me. And it's, it's just this is a good time right now for everyone to be able to learn ball from each other. And so I appreciate you including me in it. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.